welcome to Flash Forward. I'm Rose, and I'm your host, and Flash Forward is a podcast about the future. Every episode, we go to a specific, possible, or sometimes not very possible, future scenario. Every episode starts with a little field trip into the future to check out what's going on, and then you and I and all of us together are going to teleport back to today to talk to real, bona fide experts about how that world that we just traveled to might actually go down. Got it? Great. Before we go to the future today, I want to tell you about another podcast that you might like. You may have heard me talk about it before, but there is a new season of the podcast, Science Diction. And already you know we have a winner because I do love a pun. Science Diction is a new podcast from Science Friday and WNYC Studios. Every episode, host Johanna Mayer picks one word and figures out where it came from. Right now, they're talking about food, one of my favorite subjects. For example, did you know that the word ketchup, as in the tomato-based product you should never put on a hot dog, actually comes from the word for fish sauce? And in fact, ketchup used to literally be fish sauce. Scientists in the U.S. adapted an East Asian sauce into what Americans know of today as ketchup. Or have you ever wondered what the heck Rocky Road is and why we think it sounds tasty to eat? You can get the answer to that on a recent episode of Science Diction. Find Science Diction wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, now let's go to the future. This episode, we are starting in the year 2028. Okay, so it says, Pounce, place this figure in an empty space within six spaces and adjacent to two or more rebels. Within six spaces, two or more rebels. But it can't because... Oh. So it skips over that and it goes to Pounce, place this figure in an empty space within six spaces and adjacent to the healthy rebel that is set the stage. That's basically So it's going to appear here. And then attack the healthy rebel. Okay, so he's going to attack him. Um, and that's throwing green red. So does new surge, so does two damage. And oh, he can attack one of those block attacks. And then use three to reposition. To and sauce. I think there's crust on this a lot. Ooh, mysterious. What just happened? Today's episode is all about the end of the universe. Literally, like, how does this universe of ours go out? With a bang? With a whimper? With something else? What's even the point of thinking about how the universe is going to end? How do we approach that as, as research, as a research question? This is Dr. Katie Mack, a theoretical astrophysicist and the author of a new book called The End of Everything, Astrophysically Speaking. And the book is about, yes, the end of the universe. I gave a couple of public talks where I talked about a few of the more exciting possibilities. And I just had so much fun thinking about these kind of big destructive processes. And I knew I could, I could tell that the audiences got really excited about it, about thinking about, you know, ultimate destruction and what it all means. And <laughs> yeah, I thought it would be fun to, to go through the possibilities. Fun. And that is what we are going to do today. Katie is going to walk us through the main theories for how exactly our universe might end. Shall we begin? Okay, great. Theory number one, the big crunch. Right now, the universe is expanding. Since the start of the Big Bang, everything is moving out and out and out, and the universe is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You can't feel it, but it is happening. And the question of the big crunch is this. Okay, is that going to keep going forever, or is the expansion going to turn around? Is it all going to come back and collapse again? If it does come back the other way, that's the big crunch. An analogy I use a lot is, you know, throwing a ball up into the air 
you know, you can think of the Big Bang as that sort of initial push when you push the ball out of your hand. And if you, you know, if you throw it really fast, then it might, you know, escape into space and keep going forever. But most of the time it'll sort of stop and, and fall down again. In this version of the end, we would actually see it coming if we were still here on Earth being humans. The distant galaxies would stop appearing to move away from us and they would start to appear to move toward us and all the stuff nearby would start coming toward us. First, Andromeda, the galaxy closest to us, would crash into ours. And that's not going to destroy our galaxy, it's not going to destroy our solar system, but it'll kind of move all the stars around. This is going to happen no matter what, by the way, big crunch or no big crunch. But then after our galaxy is destroyed, as the crunch continues, things start to get kind of weird. When you compress the space that we live in in the universe, you also compress all of the radiation in the space. All the stars that have been shining for billions of years have emitted a ton of starlight and radiation into space. But if the universe is compressing again, that starlight kind of doesn't have anywhere to go. And so you'll start to you start to crank up the temperature of just empty space because there'll all be all this radiation from all these nearby stars that are crashing into us. And all the stars that have ever shown in the universe will have all of their light kind of being compressed into the space that we're in. So the way that the big crunch kills you really is not the collision of galaxies or stars or anything like that. It's the cooking of the of the ambient radiation in space suddenly being compressed too much and like what actually happens is that you get so much radiation uh, and it gets so hot that you ignite the surfaces of stars. <laughs> so you can get like thermonuclear explosions on the surfaces of stars from all of this radiation from the compression of space. The Big Crunch is probably one of the most dramatic of all of the options, but it's also not super likely. This theory has fallen out of favor among physicists just because there's no real evidence that the expansion of space is going to turn around and reverse on us. But don't forget about this one just yet, because we are going to come back to it in a little bit. The fact that the universe is expanding and doesn't seem to show any sign of reversing that expansion leads us to theory number two, heat death. This theory is misleadingly named, in my opinion, because it sounds like we are going to be cooked alive. But in fact, it's really the opposite. If it keeps going like this over time, then all of the stuff in the universe gets more and more diluted away. Galaxies get farther and farther apart from each other. The radiation background in the universe gets more and more diluted and, uh, you know, dimmer. And so eventually you have galaxies so far apart that they can't see each other anymore. So we'll get to a point where we can't see other galaxies because they're so far away from us and traveling away from us so quickly that, you know, they're just, they're invisible at that point. As things get further and further away, the collisions that are required to form new stars can't happen. And then sort of planets are kind of spiraling into their stars and the stars are burning out and then black holes are the things that are left over, but then the black holes themselves can decay away in a process called evaporation, Hawking evaporation. And then just matter itself decays and you end up in a universe that's just like empty and cold and dark. <laughs> and the reason it's called the heat death. This is the goth one. Yeah, yeah. It's a really depressing concept. <laughs> But the reason it's called a heat death is that um, in, in physics, when you, we use the term heat, we usually just mean like disordered energy. And so it's the heat death because at the end, all that's left is like waste heat. This is the sad womp womp version of the end. The slow expansion into cold, lonely nothingness. And this is at least for now, what seems to be happening in our universe. And in fact, the rate of expansion is increasing. Our universe is expanding faster and faster and faster. And to understand why, we have to talk about Einstein. You probably knew he'd show up at some point, right? So up until about 5 billion years ago, the expansion of the universe was slowing down. You can think kind of like a firework, right? At the beginning, the explosion is super fast, and then all the little glittery bits slow down as they get further from initial ignition. That was our universe. 
And then around 5 billion years ago, it started speeding up. And um, that's extremely weird. It's, uh, yeah, it's, why? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's the, the same kind of physics as if you're, you know, you're throwing that ball up into the air and you throw it up into the air and it's sort of slowing down for a little while. It looks like it's going to fall back again. And instead it just shoots off into space, right? That's, that's, it's a very similar kind of physics. Like we did not expect that to happen. And we still don't know precisely why it's happening. The leading contender to explain this is dark energy. What is dark energy? Great question. Nobody really knows. The sort of leading idea behind it is that it's actually a, an idea that Einstein came up with called the cosmological constant, where there's just this property of space where space just likes to expand. There's, there's something about space where, you know, if you take a little bit of space and uh, you leave it alone, it'll, it'll expand on its own accord um, because it has something called the cosmological constant in it. So if space has this tendency to want to expand naturally, why wasn't it expanding this fast before? Here is the theory. Dark matter wants to expand space. But it's not the only thing trying to get space to do its bidding out there. Matter, stuff like you and me and stars and planets, does the opposite. Matter tries to contract space. So there's this endless war between matter and dark energy, working against one another. As the universe expanded, the matter, the stuff that wants to contract, got more and more spread out, more diluted. But the dark energy wasn't getting diluted. And as a result, about 5 billion years ago, the balance between those two forces tipped in dark energy's favor. And so after a while, this stretchiness of space is starting to win. And so then it, that, that just takes over and then you have um, a universe that's dominated by this, this like cosmological constant, this, this inherent stretchiness. And so it's, it's accelerating and its expansion. Now that all the brakes are off, the universe is like a runaway train, never coming back, tearing up the track, burning in my veins. You know the deal. And so off we are, racing faster and faster into our heat death of sadness. Unless... Theory three is the one that happens. Enter the big rip. So remember the dark energy. We just talked about it, that thing that makes space expand. Turns out there are actually different possible types of dark energy out there. So what dark energy does is it stretches space out, right? So whatever, whatever version of dark energy you have, it, it stretches out empty space. But there are different versions of dark energy that, that sort of take that job more or less seriously. In the heat death version of the world, dark energy only takes that job moderately seriously, like, say, Pam from The Office. But in the Big Rip version of this world, dark energy takes that job very seriously. The Big Rip dark energy is the Dwight Schrute of the cosmos. In fact, this version of dark energy takes its job so seriously that it gets a special name. Something called phantom dark energy. Phantom dark energy? is extra energetic and stretchy and can pull at the edges of galaxies. And if the conditions are just right, it can pull so hard that it literally rips our entire universe apart. Each galaxy, um, the, the stars toward the edges will start to drift off and then the, the other stars will be kind of pulled away from each other and that galaxy will kind of dissipate and then it gets, it gets more, you know, uh, local. So then the, the planets will start to be pulled away from their stars. And then it just keeps going because you just have more and more of this dark energy popping up in all of the space that, that all of this matter is in. So it starts to actually rip apart planets. And then it rips apart atoms. <laughs> and, and eventually in this scenario, it rips apart space itself. Like, the, the expansion gets so extreme that it just rips space open. That's pretty sweet. I mean, like, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a very dramatic scenario. Very dramatic, very intense, very metal. And also pretty unlikely, according to some physicists. Most physicists will say, oh, you know, it, it sort of violates certain energy conditions and, and we, don't, we don't like it as a, as a theory. Well, fine then, physicists. In that case, let's move on to theory number four, vacuum decay. If you had to pick one, 
to experience? Not the one you think that is the most likely, but the one that you would choose to experience. Which one would it be? Okay. Um, I would choose vacuum decay as as my, my favorite one um, for a number of reasons. One being that it's kind of, as a physicist, it's kind of one of the most interesting to talk about, but just sort of based on the the complicated physics that happens in it. Uh, but also because it's the only one that's like definitely painless and not scary. <laughs> and the the reason it's not scary is because you don't see it coming. And I realize some people might have different ideas about whether or not that's scary, <laughs> but um, you don't see it coming. You don't feel it. Uh, it's, it's, it's very fast. Um, you know, there's no tragic aftermath. Uh, it's just, it's just, over and done with. So that's that's why that one's my favorite. This one is probably most like the intro scene that you heard. One day you're eating dinner or watching TV and then boom, the universe ends. But how? Okay, so you have heard of the Higgs boson, right? Well, there's also something called the Higgs field. And what we know about the Higgs field is it has something to do with how particles got mass in the very early universe. So it's this energy field that, that pervades all of space. And, and in the very early universe, the Higgs field was changing um, in sort of energy levels. In the early universe, the Higgs field was different than it is today. And when the Higgs field changed values from what it was to what it is now, it broke a bunch of stuff. So the laws of physics have changed since the beginning of the universe uh, to, uh, to now. And that all happened in the very, very early, you know, less than a, a millisecond kind of phase, uh, like very, very early beginning of the universe. And if the Higgs field were to change value today, it would break physics again. If, it, if that value changed, then that would be bad <laughs> because it would mean that suddenly, you know, uh, electrons can't orbit around the centers of atoms anymore and molecules can't fit together anymore and, you know, matter might not be stable and, like, all sorts of things, bad things can happen if you change the value of the Higgs field. We want it to be what it is because that's how particle physics works and that's how, like, all of our atoms hold together, right? We want it to stay the same. And one of the things that the LHC found was that the current state of the Higgs field is not a given. It's sort of like if you have a, a glass at the edge of a table, right? Like the glass is sitting there at the edge of the table. It's perfectly fine, but it would really rather be on the floor, right? The, the, the glass... Especially if you had um, a cat. <laughs> yeah, ex exactly, exactly. Um, the, the, the glass being on the floor is the lower energy state. It's the preferred state. And if you're not careful, um, you could knock the glass onto the floor. Of course, if you do that, then it's very bad for the glass and everything's a disaster. But, you know, it would kind of rather be there. And based on their experiments, physicists think that the Higgs field might actually kind of prefer to be on the floor and not on the table where it is today. And if that's true, then that means that our universe is, is in what's called a false vacuum state. So if something were to knock that glass off the table, some cosmic cat, say, the Higgs field would revert to its preferred state, and our universe would change from this false vacuum to a true vacuum, which would be bad for us. You'd disturb the Higgs field somewhere, and it would create this bubble of, of true vacuum space, of this space that has this other value of the Higgs field, where physics works totally differently. And that bubble would expand out at, at about the speed of light and take over the whole universe. Um, kind of like if you, if, if instead of just a glass at the end of the table, you had like a string of pearls and, and one of the pearls fell off the edge, it would pull the others with it. It could just happen like right next to you right now, a little bit of the Higgs field, you know, right next to your head <laughs> could create this bubble and that bubble would spontaneously expand out at about the speed of light. Because it's expanding at the speed of light, you can't see it coming <laughs> because by the time the light from it gets to your eye, the, the bubble is there already because it's like moving at the same speed. So there's no warning. And because it's traveling so fast, you know, your nerve impulses don't travel that fast. So you don't feel it. <laughs> um, but what, what it does is the, the bubble, um, you know, kind of just destroys everything in this path and then 
that stuff is now inside the bubble where you have a different kind of space with different laws of physics, and so the atoms can't hold together anymore. And then it turns out that also what happens after that is that probably this space is sort of gravitationally unstable, and so everything inside it collapses into a black hole. So it's a very, it's a very, very complete ending. <laughs> so once this bubble starts going, it really destroys everything. Before you freak out, it is not easy to disturb the Higgs field. And there's no way to predict when or if this might happen because it's one of those quantum things that's inherently unpredictable. So if it does happen, it will be instant and unforeseeable. And if that doesn't make you feel any better, which, you know, fair enough, maybe this will. The whole idea that vacuum decay is possible is predicated on the idea that we understand everything about how physics works. Because the way we get to this conclusion that we're in a false vacuum is by saying, okay, the, our understanding of particle physics is complete, even to very, very extreme energies that we can't test with particle colliders. And that's, that's not really a reasonable statement. Maybe the physicists are just wrong. This happens quite a lot, actually. That seems to me to be sort of the fun part of theoretical physics. So maybe vacuum decay isn't possible. But we don't know. We don't know at the moment. And so we get to do things like write fun papers about, <laughs> about vacuum decay destroying us all. Okay, now we have reached the final stop on our tour of the end of the world. Remember the big crunch we talked about earlier? This idea that maybe the universe will stop expanding and crunch back down on itself? Well, there's sort of a last bonus theory here called bounce which is this idea that we'll get a crunch that then leads to an expansion and then back down in a cycle, like bouncing on a trampoline, but with extra dimensions and universes that we haven't even detected yet. They're called brain worlds. So the word brain, B-R-A-N-E. Which I love. Yeah. So the word brain, B-R-A-N-E, it's, it's kind of like short for membrane. It's, it's a, um, you know, it's a, it's a kind of space uh, that has a smaller number of dimensions than the larger space it's in, right? So, so you can have a three-dimensional bra three brain um, in a four-dimensional space, or in this case, it's a you know, four-dimensional brain if you include time and the five-dimensional uh, space uh, in between. But uh, anyway. If you are currently feeling a little bit like that gif of the lady with the numbers in front of her face right now, don't worry, you're not alone. You don't actually need to understand the details of brains for this. The point is that we could exist in one brain, and there could be other brain worlds out there. So to help us all understand this, I'm going to borrow a little exercise that Katie has in her book. So I want you to take your hands out in front of you. Your left hand is us, our brain, the three-dimensional universe in which we live. Your right hand is some other brain that has some other number of dimensions. Now, put your hands together in front of you in prayer position. This is the beginning of both universes. Each of your hands is an impossibly dense ball of hot plasma. Now, move your hands apart, spreading your fingers. On the left, you have our universe spreading out, cooling, developing planets, and ultimately developing us, humans, and podcasts, and paper clips, and all the things that come with us. And on the right hand, you have this other mystery brain, which is doing stuff that we on the left cannot see at all. Who knows what's happening out there? Could be anything. Could also be nothing. Okay, now move your hands back towards one another and then slam them together like a big thunderclap. That force, that is the bounce. That clap has destroyed everything on each hand. All of our lives, all of whatever's life may have developed on your right hand. And then as you float them back out again, it starts all over again. This can happen any number of times, this brain clapping. And each time, a new set of universes emerges. So you can have these two brains that, that sort of smack against each other. And every time they hit each other, they create a new Big Bang. And then they kind of come apart again. And then they have their own evolution where you have, you know, the expansion of space and all that, the usual thing, and then they smack against each other again, and you create a new Big Bang. And so this, this cycle of, of collisions of brains um, was one, one idea that was put forward for explaining the, the Big Bang and also, you know, creating a new way of ending the universe in this very violent <laughs> fashion. 
This is called the Ekpyrotic Cosmos, which I am adding to the list of great band names that have appeared on Flash Forward. This idea is appealing to science fiction writers because it's cool and it offers potential other universes to travel to and communicate with. But it's also appealing more generally because it means that the end of the universe isn't really the end. It's, it's fun because it's, a, it's an alternative to the kind of standard picture and it gives you this, this really cool sort of violent end of the cosmos coming into a new beginning. And even beyond that, when those brain worlds touch each other, they could theoretically pass information between them. Not like books or words or even sound waves. More fundamental stuff like gravitational waves. But at least it would be something. Sort of gives you the possibility that something lives on, you know, and, and carries on into a, new, into a new cycle. This theory isn't super likely, but it kind of sticks around, in part, I think, because it's nice. Thinking about the end of the universe can be fun, but it can also be sort of stressful philosophically. I don't know. I find it so I find it so challenging to to really grapple with this stuff. I, I I do find that although I spend a lot of time thinking about the end of the universe and about these big destruction possibilities, I also kind of try don't try not to think about them in some ways. Like I I find the idea of my own death quite disturbing and the idea of the I think death that's of, normal. Yeah. Um, and then, but I mean, some people come to terms with it. Some people find peace, but, uh, the end of the cosmos is like, like, how do you find meaning if everything's going to end and it's going to erase everything that ever happened? Right. Like, how is it ever going to matter that you were nice to somebody if the memory of you and that other person are completely erased from the record? Uh, that's, that's a hard thing to, to come to terms with. And when we come back, we are going to grapple with these questions. How do you cope with feeling freaked out by the end? How should we live our lives? And what does the end really mean? All that and more after this quick break. Okay, I have a confession to make to you listeners. Talking about the end of the universe does not freak me out. I don't really know why. I get that it's this big and potentially scary topic. I often get uh, messages from people saying that they're they're really scared, you know, because they heard about vacuum decay and they're really scared that the universe is going to, you know, decay, that there's going to be this bubble of death that shows up right next to them and then it's going to destroy the whole universe. When Katie gives talks about this, she scans the audience for people who might have brought their kids. You know, I often start these talks by talking about the um, the earth being destroyed by the sun. And I always kind of look you know, out the corner of my eye to see if the child is crying because, <laughs> because sometimes, um, sometimes kids get real, real, real caught up in that. And, and if you tell a kid that the sun is going to die, sometimes they, they get very upset. And if you tell them, oh, don't worry, you and everyone you love will be dead by then. That does not <laughs> help. Not that encouraging? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And it's not just kids. Even some of the physicists who study this stuff can feel freaked out by it. So what about you, dear listener? Have you ever been freaked out that the universe is going to end? Are you now freaked out that the universe is going to end? If so, I'm sorry. If not, you probably do relate to feeling like it's the end of the universe when there's some big hard thing that has happened or is about to happen. And it just feels like this is it. This is the end of me. I have not had any clients that have come in said, I'm afraid the world's going to end. I don't know what to do. But I mean, I have clients that do come in and feel like it is the end of the world due to other situations that they can't see a solution for. So, uh, yeah, a lot of times it's, it's more so feeling like it's the end of their world, but not the actual physical world. This is Dr. Jenna Sadler, a clinical psychologist based in Long Beach. And I called her to get some advice for those who might feel a little bit freaked out by this stuff. By the way, if you are feeling really seriously freaked out or you really need to talk to someone, please reach out. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available 24-7 at 1-800-273-TALK. 
So if I were a client of yours and I came in and I was like, Jana, I just read this book about the end of the universe and now I'm just really, really freaked out about the fact that the universe is going to end. How would you kind of like try to talk me through this? Right. Well, I would I first would ask, well, what is freaking you out so much about the world ending? And then I would, you know, because a lot of times with with some clients, it may be that it's not that the actual world's going to end. It's that maybe they haven't said goodbye to one of their loved ones. Maybe that they're living across the country from their mother or father. And if the world were to end, they write, you know, when they won't expect it, they might not be around people who they love and care about. So I would really try to explore and go deeper into the fear of the world ending. Are you scared by this because you feel you have some unfinished business, something you really want to do? Maybe now is a good time to do it. The bubble could appear and swallow us at any time. But instead of worrying about that, Jana advises focusing on what you can do right now to feel happier. It's it's a valid thought and, a, you know, it's a valid um, feeling to have, the fear, you know, but at the same time, when we think about the end of the universe, we're more so focused on, oh, it, it, what's going to happen in the future. But if we focus more on what's going on now and how to basically feel calm and peacefulness and happiness in our present moment, then a lot of times that really does help to kind of reduce that anxiety of thinking about when or if the world should or would end. So instead of focusing on the end of the world, think about right now and what you can do right now in this moment to feel a little bit better. Text a friend, go for a walk, look at cute pictures of animals on the internet. One of the things I think probably contributes to the conversation about the end of the world feeling scary is that it's totally out of our control. This will, I'm sure, completely shock you, but I am a little bit of a control freak. And sometimes for me, it is hard to recognize and accept when something is not my job or is not something that I can do anything about. So when somebody is is really having difficult time letting go of that control, knowing that they can't control when the world's going to end, a lot of times I would redirect them and say, OK, what let's what can you focus on that you can control? And a lot of times the only things that we can control is how to how we react to certain situations. And if you do find yourself stuck on a negative reaction or a negative thought, Jana suggests practicing what she calls thought stopping. It's kind of where you have the client imagine like a stop sign to say, hey, you're, you're, you're thinking about this and it's not helping you right now because it's making you anxious. You're not able to say, for example, um, go buy groceries when you really need to go buy groceries or you're not able to do your job from home because you're constantly ruminating on this thought. So we tell them to imagine a stop sign to engage in those relaxation techniques such as deep breathing or mind, some mindfulness exercises and then um, try to redirect their attention to a more positive and adaptive sort of um, thought. I definitely do this, where I will revisit some memory or some anxiety, and it will play on loop in my head. And even though I know that I should stop thinking about it, it's really hard to do. After talking to Jana, I tried practicing this stop sign technique. And because I am me, I made up a little character to hold the stop sign with a backstory. So now, when I start to have one of these intrusive thoughts, I imagine a hedgehog named Barbara holding up a stop sign. Barbara, of course, is no regular hedgehog. She was created in the lab of an evil sign company, hellbent on putting confusing signage all over the world so people will get lost constantly. They are also investors in oil and gas companies, and the more lost people are, the more money they make on the gas that they burn dastardly. Barbara, the hedgehog, was one of their experiments. A hedgehog with a specially adapting arm that can turn into a street sign when someone is actually managing to go the right way. Covert signage via cute animal. But Barbara escaped and now lives to help people escape their own negative thoughts. And when I start to get stuck on one, she appears and she holds up her little stop sign. You do not have to go this far, obviously. You are also free to borrow Barbara, the mechanically enhanced hedgehog, if that's helpful to you. Or you can make up your own version. The point is to practice the stopping. 
None of this is easy, obviously, but it can become more natural with practice and with the help of a professional. And I do want to take this moment to say that getting help is awesome. You don't have to be down in the deepest depths of depression, whatever you might think that that looks like, to see someone to help talk through anxieties or struggles or problems. If you're feeling yourself stuck on anything, consider finding a professional to talk to. It doesn't have to be where you really dive deep into childhood or anything like that. I mean, there are therapists that do that. But if you want to go to therapy because there's a specific issue that's really weighing on your mind or on your heart, you can go in there and say, hey, I just I want to work on this particular issue and, you know, and get it done. And you could work and it could be like a short term treatment and you'll be good to go. If you want help finding someone to talk to, I will post a few resources in the show notes and on the Flash Forward website. Therapy is good and should be more accessible and affordable for everybody. No shame. Okay, so we've covered how the world might end and how to cope with that fact. But I wanted to end this episode on something a little bit more fun. At the end of the universe, like, is what is more important? Is it a 5,000-year-old marble sculpture or is it a fresh grilled cheese sandwich. I don't know. When we come back, we are going to talk about how to plan the last party ever. But first, a quick break. Okay, so when I was planning this episode, I was trying to figure out what to put in this last section. How do you end an episode about the end? And I started thinking about how I might want to spend the end of the world which then got me thinking about parties. Let's say we know that the end of the universe is coming. We have some warning. And let's say that humans are still on the planet Earth. This combination of conditions is mm, impossible, probably not going to happen given what we know about the physics of all of this, but it's fine. We're just going to go with it. And let's say that we want to go out with a human-sized bang. What should the last party ever be like? Oh my God. It's so, okay. So like, I mean, if you want those, like the realistic answer, we'll get to like the fantasy answer next. <laughs> um, it's the end of the world. Like how, like that would kind of maybe mean that money doesn't matter anymore. Um, and so like being able to barter for like labor and goods when like maybe nobody cares about making a last paycheck anymore. It's just like, how are you going to staff that party? Like, that's my realistic answer for it. This is Jesse Char, a conference organizer and a party planner. There's no incentive for you to show up to like work at the party. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Or it's just like, oh, how am I going to get like 72 champagne? Fl no, <laughs> obviously there's more than 72 people, but like, you know, just ordering things in fulfillment, like who cares anymore? So just for the sake of having a little bit of fun, we are going to set aside the questions of plausibility of the physics, and we are also going to set aside questions of supply chains and finances. Let's say that there is a party wizard who can make all of the actual logistics happen. What would a professional party planner do for the last party ever? When you're thinking about a party, you know, one of the first things you think about is venue. Where is it going to be? One of the interesting types of places to hold this kind of end of the year or end of the year, <laughs> end of the world party or end of the universe. Which one is it? World end of or the universe? universe? Yeah. End of the universe. That's big. Yeah. So it's, it's just like maybe maybe a museum, maybe the Louvre, maybe the Met, um, something like that, that kind of has an aspect of celebrating everything that came before. Um, I think that maybe the challenge with that is like it introduces an element of nostalgia that like, would that make people sad? Like, how would you feel, I guess, when faced with thousands of years of like beautiful art, like would it feel celebratory or would it feel somber? I'm not sure. Right. Because then you're looking around and you're like, wow, look at everything we've done that will now be over. And it's all yeah. coming to an end. So in some ways, I was sort of imagining a big outdoor situation. But, you know, then there is that question of how do you that like how do you bring in the fun things or what are sort of the, the sort of infrastructure for having a party in a big outdoor space? How do you prevent it from being sort of just like a bunch of people standing in a field, which maybe is the, the way to celebrate? I don't know. Um, but I also now that you raise that question, I do feel like at some point 
depending on how people are feeling at the end of the universe, if someone were in the Louvre or the Met or something, there might also be sort of like a weird destructive impulse to like set everything on fire or something. I don't know. (laughs) Exactly. And I was going to get to that too. It's just like, how do you keep people, like, how do you keep the party from turning like bad weird? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like destruction. Cause if nothing matters anymore, or, or, or rather, you know, if the universe is ending, um, like, yeah, I, I think that there would be a strong impulse for destruction from people who have no history of behavior like that. I mean, I would probably want to smash one thing before I go, you know, it's, I like, but I do like the idea of outside. I do like the idea of kind of experiencing the natural world um, and appreciating it for the last time. Another interesting thing I thought of could be um, similar to like what you were saying about like looking up at the sky, like maybe a planetarium or like somewhere where you can just kind of lie down and maybe watch a projection of something on the ceiling um, that could be stars or could be anything, could be movies, could be historical clips or a combination of all of them or like the Eames Powers 10 or something like that that's like a little bit I don't know, um, a little introverted, a little introspective um, could be really interesting. You also have to figure out when to have this party. Yeah, so I was thinking like three to four weeks in advance of the end of the world so that like part of that is that um, so nobody finds out that they're pregnant after the party. Um that would be a weird bummer. You know, they might be hungover for a couple of days or like coming down from whatever it is that they took at the party. Um, and they still need to get affairs in order and they still need to spend time with, you know, maybe different groups of family, different groups of friends, um, before they kind of settle into like maybe the final week with like their closest family and loved ones. Um, so yeah, I'm thinking like three to four weeks. Then there's a question of what to actually have at the party. So let's start with music. I feel like, you know, a lot of people would probably have a strong inclination for this party to be like all acid and cocaine and REMs. It's the end of the world as we know it, which is like, <laughs> just it's just loop. too on just the nose. On loop for yeah, two on, yeah, two on the nose. We can't do that. Instead, Jessie shared her foolproof party playlist trick, which goes like this. Look up the top 10 chart from the following time periods. The year your parents met, the year you were born, the year you graduated high school, the year you graduated college, and then the current top 10. I like that because um, it's not all good songs. You get some bad songs mixed in there, but I kind of, I kind of like the beauty of like, having things in that were head scratchers. Cause you know, like you, you look at the top 10 chart for like whatever, you know, the year 2002 or it's not, it's not all going to be good. They're not all going to (laughs) be gold, but that's kind of what the world is, you know, is, is that mix of like things that are super wonderful and memorable and things that happen and were popular, but then like everybody forgot about because it was never actually good. And, and so I think that I would want the playlist to reflect that, the good and the bad um, of different eras. Jesse actually shared a bunch of really great party tips that we don't have time to get into. But if you are a patron, you will hear all about these pro party tips on the bonus podcast this week. I am definitely going to use some of these tips uh, as soon as we can safely have parties again. Anyway, the real key to this particular party is how to keep it on the rails. How to keep it fun and not depressing, high energy but not totally chaotic, burn everything to the ground, destruction. How do you thread the needle and make it celebratory and light while also not feeling flippant or getting too nostalgic? Jessie says that she thinks the key to all of this is offering juxtapositions. I'm, I, I know that you said like no Gregorian chant, I feel, but now that you mention it, it's just like, now I want to find a place for it. <laughs> I don't know where that is. Maybe the Gregorian chant can be next to the absurdist ice cream sundae bar. Like, I don't know. Stuff like that. I, I love playing with. And, it, you know, if this were to be maybe like, let's say there's a museum that's next to a field or or something like that. Um, I I would love to be able to have like 
you know, a grilled cheese station in like the Greek art exhibit or something stupid like that, you know, because because really at the at the end of the universe, like is what is more important? Is it a 5000 year old marble sculpture or is it a fresh grilled cheese sandwich? I don't know. Or maybe you just get this weirdness about death out of the way at the very beginning. I was rolling around this idea of like, maybe to get that out of people's systems, like, and this is like dark and weird, but like maybe the party, yeah, maybe the party does start with like some sort of a faux ritual. Um, I, I produced this party where when upon arrival, um, I poured a very, very small like vial of liquid for people and was just like, please enjoy this tiny vial of liquid. And they would be like, what's in it? And I was just like, you don't need to know that right now. But like, don't worry. It's it's a safe space. Like everything's going to be fine. And so they would like take their little vial of liquid and they would like go through this tunnel. And it was this whole thing. And um, and like when I had re- kind of received every guest, I like went into the back room where the party was. And maybe about a third of the people were like, whoa, like what was in that? Like, I feel so weird. And all it was was like was like half an ounce of Chambord, which is just like a liqueur. It was nothing. <laughs> it was basically nothing. It's like giving people a thimble of water. Um, but it affected them num- nonetheless. It was like very much a placebo thing. And so I'm wondering if like, let's just get this weird ritual thing out of your system. Um, I don't know. I think that that could be interesting. Maybe not for like everybody in the world, but maybe if this is just like Rose and Jesse's uh, close friends party, you know? <laughs> Once we get all the complicated death feelings out of the way, the party could offer up some guided opportunities to try things that you never got to do before the end of the universe. I was almost thinking that, like, costumes would be kind of fun or, like, just different, maybe not costumes per se, like in a Halloween or opera sense, but, like, just different clothes around where it's just, like, you can kind of go in and change and be whoever you want to be. Maybe that's just like a super like modern fashionista or like maybe you do want to be like a burning man steampunk person for a little while or like wear a rave outfit. I do think that like wearing clothes um, and expressing yourself through fashion can be a really transformative experience. And I think that that could be something fun for people to do people who maybe didn't have the opportunity or, the money to be able to afford that kind of experimentation with the way that they present themselves. But I do think that that would be fun um, is like letting people alter their appearance. Not everybody is going to want to party at the end of the world. And that's fine. Not everybody wants to party at any point in time. But for those who do want a celebratory outlet, this end of the world event seems pretty fun to me. Um, the last question I wanted to ask you was if Party Wizard came to you and was like, all right, Jesse, we know the world is ending. It's very sad, but we want to have a party. Will you plan it? Would you like take on this responsibility? Would you be interested in even planning this party? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, so part of the reason that I planned parties and kind of became an event organizer in the first place was, um, I'm really bad at attending parties, but I like attending parties. Like I like going to conferences. I like going to events, but I am such an introvert that I feel so awkward that I never know what to do. And I end up just being like a wallflower. And like, I, I like being social, but I'm not good at it. And so I started planning parties because then I could be at the party around everybody. But then like I was in charge and I had a job. And so you know, I I would definitely because I would really want to be at the end of the world or at the end of the universe party, but I just wouldn't even know what to do aside from I guess eat lots of hot dogs in a ball gown, which I'm still going to do at my own party. <laughs> but yeah, I you know it's a crazy undertaking, and I'm sure that you know people would go into it having a lot of expectations. But at least for me, with my experience, like I feel like I could I feel like I could deliver a great event for people you know, based on the things that we've talked about. And then I would, of course, add a bajillion last minute things because like the best ideas for parties and events always come like the week before it happens when all of your budget is gone. Um, But we have a party wizard. So like, oh my God, this would be a dream. Yeah. (laughs) Party wizard forever. 
Flash Forward is produced by me, Rose Eveleth. The intro music is by Asura, and the outro music is by Hussalonia. The episode art is by Matt Lubchansky. Thanks to all the patrons who sent in tape of what they were doing for the intro, including Derek Parrott, Catherine Dolans, Kevin Chow, Joshua Vermeulen, Stephanie Hennen, Carl Sack, Ginny True, Charles Wallace, Libby Larson, Thomas Beckett, Andres Usa, and Lex Pendragon. Flash Forward only exists thanks to support from listeners. As you might know, the show has been completely independent for the last four years, and the only way that I can continue to explore these weird and wonderful futures with you is thanks to listener donations. If you want to become one of those people who is keeping this show going, you can learn more about how to become a patron or a member of the Time Traveler Presents Club by going to flashforwardpod.com support. This week, this very week, I am actually bringing someone onto the team to help me make the show for the first time ever. And that is only possible because of direct support from listeners. In return for your support on Patreon or the membership program, you can get things like goodie bags, a book club, a newsletter, a bonus podcast, and so much more. So again, if you want any of those things, head to flashforwardpod.com support. If you want to suggest a future that we should take on, you can send a note on Twitter, Facebook, or by email at info at flashforwardpod.com. I love hearing your ideas. And if you think that you have spotted one of the little references that I've hidden in this episode, you can email me there too. If you're right, I will send you something cool. And if you want to support the show, there are a couple of ways that you can do that as well. Head to flashforwardpod.com support for more about how to give. If financial giving is just not happening for you right now, which makes complete sense, um, you can head to Apple Podcasts and leave the show a nice review or just tell your friends about the show. Be like, hey, you are interested in the future. You like weird sci-fi stuff. Have you listened to this podcast that I like? It's called Flash Forward. So easy. Just do that. Maybe like less awkward, but that's my version. <laughs> that really does help to spread the word about the show. That's all for this future. Come back next time and we'll travel to a new one.